Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, the Chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology in the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology here at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. And with me today is Dr. Erin Tandy, the Associate Chair for Outpatient Practice in the Division of Infectious Diseases and Associate Professor of Medicine. Dr. Tandy's played a key role in coordinating our institutional response to COVID-19. And so it's a real pleasure to have him here with us today. Thank you for joining us, Erin. Thanks so much, Bobby. I'm, I'm glad to be with you today. Yeah, so can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how your roles changed since COVID-19? Sure, I'd be happy to. So, I mean, like, like a lot of people, um, both in medicine and outside of medicine, my life has been upended by COVID-19. I mean, prior to COVID, I, I was an infectious diseases specialist focusing really on orthopedic infections and infections in our patients with cancer and also antimicrobial stewardship. But with the rise of the pandemic, I uh, have really had to change my role to help respond to COVID and try and really put in place policies and procedures to help care for patients with COVID and also keep our patients and staff safe. Thanks, Erin. It's so great to have you with us on the podcast today because we've talked to a lot of folks in laboratory medicine, but it's really good to talk to folks that are really looking at this from the infectious diseases standpoint, coordinating institutional response for caring for our patients. We've been just really pleased that laboratory medicine has played such a key role in that. Um, so it's really great to hear your input and your side of things. Now, we always talk about testing from laboratory medicine standpoint, but in your point of view, how do you feel that testing will help Mayo and hospitals respond to this coming season's challenge? So that's a great question. If you look at what we've been through so far with COVID, this has really been the dominant respiratory virus or respiratory infection that we are considering um, when, when people are, are coming in and presenting for care. But as we enter the typical influenza season, that's gonna change. And I think it's really important to first acknowledge that it's very difficult in most cases to just distinguish clinically um, when a patient presents with symptoms, is this COVID or could this be influenza or RSV mm -hmm. just based on their symptoms? You know, there's some unique symptoms. So the loss of taste and smell has been one that's been really classic for COVID, but otherwise there are a lot of symptoms that are similar. And so, our sort of guiding principle has been how can we design sort of a, a testing approach that can help healthcare systems more proactively and accurately identify patients with not only COVID, but also influenza, RSV, so that we can help care for them in the best way possible. We've certainly been talking a lot about that as well in all of our clinical microbiology chat rooms have been talking about how can we provide testing for all the respiratory viruses. And I think you brought up a really good point that clinically, if you can't differentiate them, I think that you need answers and testing will hopefully provide those answers. Now, I understand that you've developed a testing algorithm in laboratory medicine and clinical microbiology has played a role in helping to develop that. Can you tell us a little bit about the algorithm and how it helps to address perhaps potential resource shortages, knowing that we probably can't test everyone for everything all the time and that may not be the best approach anyway? Sure. Yeah. You know, what we really tried to, to start with is, okay, 
We want to look at the dominant circulating pathogens, which again, we think are going to be COVID plus influenza. Although, you know, we can look at the Southern Hemisphere's experience, maybe um, knock on wood, hopefully we won't have a, a big influenza season. You know, we want to really identify those patients in whom it's really important to identify influenza and sometimes RSV because we may be able to offer them treatment that could improve their outcomes. And so I think if we think about resource shortages, you know, we always have to think about the testing reagents, testing supplies, as far as what's needed to collect them. But we also have to think about what's our, in my view, what's our most important healthcare resource, and that's our staff and our capacity. You know, as we see rising COVID numbers across the country, what will enable us to care for patients throughout this pandemic until we can get to the other side is going to be having adequate staff and healthcare capacity. And so if we can design a testing algorithm where we can answer a question upfront, namely what is the cause of this illness to prevent that person from seeking care again in the future, that may be a good investment to try and keep the clinics open and keep things available for patients both with and without COVID. Yeah, well, thanks, Erin. It's definitely good to be uh to look at this in the larger standpoint. And that's why I think it's so important that we have folks from infectious diseases, laboratory medicine, clinical microbiology at the table thinking about these algorithms. And of course you bring in the perspective of the resources at the staff level and caring for patients. We're thinking about how many tests we can get a hold of. Um, and then of course there's PPE and swabs. So I think this is really great to have this algorithmic approach to testing for respiratory viruses. I will keep my fingers crossed that we'll have a low influenza season this year, but influenza is so hard to predict. Going back to testing in an algorithm, in your mind, what significance does it have if there's a positive or a negative result from the different tests that we'll be doing in the algorithm for SARS-CoV-2, influenza, and RSV? Sure. So testing for SARS-CoV-2, certainly that's really important, been on everybody's mind for the last number of months. And that's, you know, it's important to try and break that train of transmission and allow isolation of that uh, infected individual. And so that's important not only for that patient's care as well, as well as for preventing spread to others. So I think identification of a positive result of COVID is important as, as is identification of a negative result. You know, we know that those persons are being uh, held out of routine life um, appropriately pending their uh, testing result. For influenza and RSV, you know, I think, again, it can give us identification alternative cause of their symptoms. You know, COVID is certainly on everybody's mind, but if we can identify alternative pathogen that could be explaining their illness, you know, this would help that person sort of have the comfort that it's not COVID. It would also help those people in whom treatment may be warranted either for influenza or RSV. You know, for influenza, we think that the treatment is most effective up front. And so I think sort of a timely identification rather than a sequential identification. So testing for both upfront rather than testing for COVID. And then if that's negative for influenza is probably more appropriate if we can, again, work it within the resource availability. For those with a positive RSV test, you know, what we're choosing to do is really trying to focus on those in whom we may consider uh, RSV treatment. And from an infectious disease clinical standpoint, that's going to be our very, very young patients at the earliest ages of life. And then those in the adult group that have very significant immunocompromise. So our organ and stem cell transplant, as well as our patients with leukemia or lymphoma, because we do have treatments that may be effective for those people. So it's important to identify those 
patients as well to try and provide them their best treatment. So taking a step back and thinking about the algorithm, we didn't really talk about how it's broken down, but it sounds like you've given a lot of thought as to which patients would benefit from certain tests, and RSV would be more of a specialized population, like uh, patients that are at risk for severe RSV disease, young children, uh, immunocompromised patients. But what about SARS-CoV-2 and influenza? Were you able to break that down at all for directing testing? No, we really started off with the premise that it's going to be difficult in a high volume situation to say um, clinically this person has SARS-CoV infection or this person has influenza infection. We can't say that. So the approach that we're taking is for symptomatic patients, um, we're recommending testing for both uh, influenza and SARS-CoV. So just to summarize then, because you've, you've given us a lot of great information, it sounds like from what we've been talking about, because of the symptoms being so similar with perhaps the loss of taste and smell being more towards COVID, otherwise the symptoms for influenza and COVID-19 are so similar, would it be appropriate to say that any symptomatic patient, you would recommend testing for both at the same time, but RSV testing would only be added onto that algorithm for the patients that are at specific risk for RSV disease, like our young kids that are immunocompromised folks. That's correct, Dr. Pritt, you know, and that's sort of acknowledging the situation where the decision to testing is, is likely going to be made. And we may not be able to make that decision through an in-depth clinical investigation, but maybe made as in the case at Mayo Clinic through a phone triage line or through, you know, even a phone conversation with a patient's primary care provider. You know, you may not have the luxury of having a full investigation before making that decision on who to test up front there, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does, absolutely. So in using a triage system, would there be some patients that would go down the branches of the algorithm for testing versus those that wouldn't require testing? That's a great question. I think certainly if there are patients that are calling in that really are just calling in for COVID testing and don't have symptoms that are compatible with active infection. We know that it's, it's important to test those patients, but it's important to test them for COVID. We don't think that they need to be tested for influenza. So out of all of this, what lessons have you learned that other healthcare professionals would benefit from? One of the things that I've really learned is that everything in medicine is interconnected. And so decisions that we may make on the clinical infectious diseases side can have significant impact, say, in the laboratory side that, that you would be well aware of in terms of resources availability and down to technician time, but they also have impact from the administrative side as far as thinking about how are we going to accomplish the anticipated volumes of these tests? What's the impact on nursing workflow? So I guess what the lesson that I take away and have learned very well over the last number of months is think outside of your silo and anticipate the ripple effects on others. Uh, the, the key to success is going to be an open-eyed discussion with people outside of your area. Great lesson, yeah. Have you seen anything inspiring that you've noticed during the pandemic? Absolutely. You know, it's been a tough time, I think, for everybody personally, professionally. But the things that have been really inspiring is just seeing the power of healthcare professionals to pull together. And, and by this, I mean not only providers, nursing staff that are seeing the patients, but also healthcare administrators, laboratory personnel, the environmental services personnel, everybody's pulling together. And that's really been inspiring. And it shows here at Mayo Clinic, the power of what we can do together, but also as a country and a world, what we can do together. 
you know, I would agree completely with you. And uh, we've really tried to highlight that on the podcast, having folks like you from infectious diseases. We've also had some of our frontline laboratory staff that are uh, the ones that have had to change their whole life as far as working different shifts and uh, coming in to do specimen testing uh, on the weekends when they normally might not have had to do that. And we're really trying to highlight all those different aspects you just mentioned. And I agree, it is inspiring how everyone just pulled together. And even though there's fear and uncertainty, there was also just this level of commitment to wanting to just pitch in and get everything done that needed to get done for our patients. Well, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our audience today? I guess what I would say is to those healthcare workers, both, quote, frontline and non-frontline, thank you for what you're doing. But then to the public that are not in the healthcare field, again, thank you if you're sort of out there um, keeping the stores open. I would also say, please listen to public health experts, wear your masks, do your part so that we can all try and do our part to get through this safely together. Thank you, Dr. Tanny. That's a great message to end on. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was a real pleasure talking with you. My pleasure. Thanks a lot, Dr. Pritt. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday.